Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Well, here we are again in the virtual connectivity that has burgeoned, especially during the pandemic. And I am looking at a picture, a video, a movie of a new friend, Shara Lewis Campbell. And we've had a, several conversations and I always look forward to having another one. So this is the other one. So I would like to ask you, Shara, to just kind of fill in the listeners. Tell us your story. Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? Sure. Um, well, just to be brief, um, I would say that there's uh, quite a lot to me in terms of even how I got here. Just to give you a brief overview, I was originally uh, born in uh, the largest city in the UK, Birmingham, in a, a small place called Small Heath. And um, my parents, uh, after my parents always say when I was about, I don't know, maybe about three months or less than, we moved to London. So I'm not that familiar with where my roots are, but I have a lot of family there. But I don't enjoy the area as much as I do uh, London. Um, it's always been home to me um, of the two places, to be honest. But I do recognise my roots, so I would definitely say that. My parents were very young when they had me. Um, my biological father was only 17. And, and uh, when I, uh, my mum, when she came to this country, she was uh, one of 15 children. And she was the only one that was sent here from her siblings to grow up with um, what they would call... Uh, step parents, you know, which were people that she didn't know and uh, came here to start her, her life anew. And uh, my biological uh, father um, was born in Birmingham and um, moved to America when I was about six or seven years old. And uh, that is very much our <laughs> history, I would say, um, with my uh, father as we he went on to sort of uh, move on with his own life. But What's very significant about that, even today, is that my stepfather, uh, my mum married and she married my stepfather, who would go on to raise me from the age of uh, three until now. And it's really because of him why I do what I do today. So I owe him that credit, um, if I'm very honest. And uh, what's um, really poignant about this is that my uh, stepfather, who I love dearly, is a... currently in hospital in a coma as we speak so um you know it's, uh, it's been about four months now and that's been very difficult and challenging um, but I know that he'd be really happy to see me doing this and um we had a, a talk just before that happened just a couple of days before you know he went into a coma and he was really proud so I'm pleased to it, it makes it all so much easier now <clears throat> in terms of what I do today so yeah I I owe him that gratitude, really. So um, <clears throat> I would also say as well, just to add, that um, I come from sort of a mixed culture as well because uh, my father, um, his father, so my uh, late grandfather, is Nigerian. And he came to this country, um, as did my uh, grandmother, who is still alive, and um, she's uh, Irish. So um, they came here in the 50s and, you know, got together and uh, eventually I was born. And uh, 
as I say, my mum, she came from Jamaica as well. So that's my sort of humble uh, upbringing, I would say. I would also say as well that in terms of um, how I got here kind of today and uh, so forth, I had figured out very, very early on, you know, as far back as I can remember, that I always, always enjoyed writing and English was my favourite subject. And whilst I was good at others, um, it was the one that I would definitely say I was strongest in. And my stepfather recognised that very, very early on and always encouraged it. He was the only person who did. You know, I didn't come from those uh, a background, you know, where I had access to people who did publishing and writing and so on, even though I would, you know, uh, make those acquaintances a bit later on down the line. You know, in my early childhood, there was no existence of that. But my father... Uh, my my uh, stepfather picked up quite early on that I could uh, read very quickly and could sort of surmise what I'd read, you know, and um, he thought it was amazing that I could read a book within a couple of hours, um, you know, if I had that concentration. And when I was very young, because of uh, the time I would have on my hands, I could get through like two or three books and uh, be lost in that. So, um, yeah, that was my world. And I would go on to write sort of short stories and so forth, just really for my own hobby I would say but as time would go on um, after I had my daughter I went back and did like a, an A-level in English only because it was something to do you know I had this time off looking after her and uh, you know I just wanted to just do something with it and I'll never forget you know whilst I was undertaking that you know I remember I recall we had a, an opportunity to write a short story and I'll, I, I'll never forget I think my daughter was a little bit sick you know and so I was off with her sort of one of the, the lessons and um, the teacher knocked on my door and I was so concerned you know because I thought something had happened you know and you know he, he, he wanted to talk to me you know about this story that I'd written and um, he said to me he was the first person to say you need to make a career out of this you know you really need to pursue this and so on but I didn't because uh, you know I didn't have that you know, I was a single parent raising my daughter and, you know, it was a different uh, criteria at the time, you know, um, in terms of traditional publishing. It was just not something I could really enter into. So I just humbly continued writing and had a few experiences in writing for a few newspapers and so forth. So, yeah, that was uh, uh, really what I did up until that time. And then... Uh, but my during, I must say, I had gone and completed a first degree, something else completely different, and um, which was uh, psychology and social policy. I don't know why I took those subjects, but I did. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just probably something I was, I'd read maybe and just really interested in at the time. And I did immediately, um, when I did my English A-level, it gave me an entrance place into that uh, university to do those subjects, which I did. And um, I remember my stepdad saying, you should have taken an English degree. You should have taken one. And for 10 years, every day, he would sing that, you know, to me and say, you must do it. So I remember when I had, you know, it was uh, 2009 and between 2009, 2013, I would make my stepfather very happy by uh, entering and taking a second degree in English because um, I decided that I was going to become a writer of sorts. Um, I didn't know how I was going to become that or I didn't know what the end goal would be, would be but I was determined that I was going to be a, an author. Didn't have a plan or anything like that, but I wanted to start from basics, you know, and I wanted to, I was keen to do that 
that degree. So I did that part time for four years. Uh, and I was very proud to have done so, uh, to be honest, because I was raising, uh, you know, a young family and um, and I was I was working full time. I remember that as well. You know, I was working in healthcare, and I, I did that privately. Uh, for 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 that time, and um, would even continue to to do that um, even after I got my degree. You know, a bit nervous still because I was a a nervous and shy writer. You know, I didn't show many people my work. You know, I didn't really discuss it. It was just something I did as a hobby in my own time, and I put them forward for competitions. And I wouldn't tell anyone about them. You know, and I do extremely well in them. <laughs> you know, um, thinking back now, so yeah, you know, that would be very much my sort of a thing to do with writing and then um after I finished my degree soon after that well I must say actually going back slightly the year before I finished my degree I was given the opportunity to write for to write for as well as to um be an editor uh, a junior editor for a magazine and um, I did that for almost two years and ended up as uh, editor-in-chief for that. And I published uh, three times in that magazine. And that sort of spurred on the confidence, you know, that I needed. And uh, we got a really, really good response from that. And we would encourage our members. It was a small private members-only um, magazine, which was really helpful to me. And um, it would spur our members to continue on as well and also write their own stories, you know, about travel it was and so forth. And um, I remember uh, when I left there, I had the opportunity to go and live in Australia. And this would be um, during 2016 to 2020. And during that period, I lived in Australia. I'd always come back to London just to check on things and so forth. Uh, probably come back about, uh, visit back about three times a year. And um, uh, during, this, uh, during the time that I was living there, I did experience um, some very negative uh, behaviour towards me and very negative attitudes in certain towns that I was in. And it did, it did weigh heavy on my heart because I hadn't really experienced anything like that directly before. So it was um, quite a bit of racism and some prejudice and so forth. But I was able to overcome those things, um, I must add that. But that would spur on my first book, you know, um, which later on became a trilogy. And, um, yeah, you know, and with that, after writing those books, um, I decided that I was going to open a small publishing company, you know, and make this transition, utilise the skills that I had learned before that interested me. And during this time, um, whilst I'd set up this small company, I I felt that my writing, although I'd written those books, it wasn't really the vein I wanted to, to go down. And I really wanted to find my purpose and my calling in my writing. I didn't feel those books had done that. So I was very desperate to do that. And I was quite disappointed in the fact that Australia, I thought, would have offered that to me, and it didn't. And soon after that, I learned I was going to be a grandmother. So that was a great opportunity to return to London, um, which I did uh, in 2020. And um, I, I, during that time with that small publishing company, I um, would basically just be an editor for other um, authors and would end up just editing their books and so forth and earning the crust in that manner. And I felt like at that time, even though I was making money doing that and it was all well, it wasn't 
completely satisfactory to me. You know, I was really pleased with the progression I had made, but there was a bit of a standstill and I wasn't getting the full satisfaction from my writing. A little bit disillusioned, to be honest with you. And then one evening, I just got a call, you know, out of the blue um, from a third party who was speaking on behalf of uh, someone who was incarcerated at the time and they were desperate um, to become um, a published author. And that is what spurred on Beauty and the Beast Publishing. So here we are today, almost a year in, that incarcerated uh, uh, poet and author is Andrew Foster, who is now... And this is an exclusive because I've never discussed this before <laughs> um, so openly, um, hence my nervousness. And um, yeah, um, he's now my business partner and we run Beauty and the Beast Publishing together. And I'm very, very proud of the work that we do. As a result, we have published 16 um, incarcerated authors and um, we have, in total, we have published 24 uh, publication book publications we have um, screen wrote pu- uh, produced and are about to direct four films we've now ex- expanded our uh, business into media so we're now doing that and it's going extremely well and we are also very keen to sort of give back as well because of the progress that we've made so hence our collaborations with 360 nation and other companies that we've worked with as well and while we're doing this and working with um, other organizations as well um, I don't want to mention them now but um, you know um, and and in addition to that we also have opened up myself and Andrew also have a non-profit organization as well called The Shift and that's where we actively campaign and just basically bring awareness um, about social justice reform so yeah, and that's that's where I am today. <laughs> if we went back in time to 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 when you 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 just first started to go, oh, I like to write, you know. Yeah. <laughs> with it, who would have thought that 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 act of, pick, of picking up a pen or sitting at a keyboard or however you did that would open all these doors and, and would and would lead you here by a very circuitous route? Yes. But but what I hear in what you said is a couple things. Number one is that it was the same star that you were following. Sorry, was, the, the, sorry the, could you repeat that? It sort of uh, froze. That's right. It was, it was the same star that you were following. Yes. I mean, you even said at one point something like, I didn't have a plan, yes. but I knew what I wanted to do. and. Yes. That's a, a strong congruence we have because I've always been accused of not having a plan, and yet I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't just, just make. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> mean to sound like ego driven, yeah. but I always thought like I don't need a plan. I know what you know. I know sure. <laughs> what I want to do. Just know that I'll get there eventually, yeah. and of course that's character building, isn't it? You know, and. Oh. Uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, determination and so forth. And I was determined to get there somehow. And Andrew became my reason, you know, um, for doing what we do today, you know. And um, obviously, because of the circumstances, 
um, you know, he's the brains behind what we do and I run the operation and um, it's going really, really well. I'm really pleased. <laughs> and your, your um, willingness to, to just keep following that place that's, that is, that is waited for you, that creates a space in my understanding of my life too, for, for things to get in touch with us. Yes. For things to get in touch with us. And what I want to ask you, because I love to write too. I've always loved to write. I'm shy. I know it's hard to believe. And I'm an introvert. <laughs> and you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a stutterer as well. So I was always very, very okay to be by myself and to let my 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 imagination go yes I and have it, a very creative space up there yeah it's constant it doesn't stop <laughs> so i just just always writing you know i mean i think i've got a list of about i think andrew and myself his list might be slightly more than mine but i think i've got a, a list of at least 12 books you know to write and you know, it just keeps getting longer and, you know, more ideas. And, you know, we write blogs now as well so that we don't have to put everything into a book, you know, and right. people have more access to that and, uh, and, and so forth, you know. And it really is about the sharing work and raising that awareness and just doing a bit more for humanity as well, you know, um, which is very important to us, you know, in terms of our writing. We're very keen to sort of, work with people as well that do come from challenging backgrounds. I mean, that's our demographic, you know, right. where we work with existing authors because we have the resources to do so. So, um, and, you know, a little bit like yourself and with Frequency Nation as well, everybody has a book within them, you know, and should be able to express that. I feel very strongly about, you know, those that, have been denied that in the past, like I have been, you know, and my, yep. myself and Andrew can ex extremely very much relate to, to that. You know, I mean, collectively, we have 50 years experience of writing between us. And, um, you know, for myself, I've been writing almost 30 years, you know, and, um, uh, and it's only today, you know, like I would say, almost in the last 12 months, I think it's really starting to come together although I do think I've built up a great amount of experience along the way, which is really, really important to me. Part of what I love, and I suspect that uh, you love about the act of writing is that, in fact, I just published a, a um, blog about this, is it is one of the most painstaking things in my life, you know, taking pains. I mean, it's the same reason I love to cook, and uh, cooking for me doesn't mean putting something in the microwave. In the microwave, cooking for me means gathering, chopping up, and you know. And, stuff. Yeah. and part of what I think, maybe, and you tell me what you think about this, is that part of what is preventing more people writing better is that we live in a in this country at least in a culture which discourages taking pains and instead, instead promotes fast and easy. 
you're quite right. And um, it really does remind me, kind of resonates with the discussion that we had uh, yesterday um, uh, during a meeting with uh, uh, Dennis from uh, 360 Nation, you know, with the uh, Friendship Bench. That sort of theme came up, you know, because the theme was centred around anger and talking about that. It's never really discussed, is it? You know, and therefore, you know, you see sort of extremes of anger because people just don't know how to convey it to everything else, you know, and it's so important to be able to do that. Um, and, yeah, you know, so I would totally agree with you there. Very much so. and, and I think the uh, creative act, because I also play music and, and sing and, and I, w- I was in a band for years and, like, I wrote all the material. And, and however wonderful or, or bad that makes me, the point I'm after here is that when we, when uh, I do that act of creation, yeah, it opens up. Uh, it opens up illumination for me about who I am and about what I still need to find out and what I need to to either let go of <laughs> or pick up that I haven't yet in my life. So. From a very selfish perspective, I find the creative act very, very, very therapeutic. Yes, very much so. I mean, it's totally therapeutic. And I think that's the reason why I love it so much, you know, and it means everything to me. Because I think when you are going through certain trials and tribulations, writing is a way to get to get through that. And and probably a lot less expensive as well than having to go to a counsellor or take therapy and so on, because it is a form of therapy especially for me when I write and um you know it's that release isn't it you know that you're not able to and then once you get it down and you've got it done I don't think there's no greater feeling of elevation for me you know once I've been able to take what's going on in this brain of mine you know and I'm left-handed as well so I struggle you know it's constantly churning away you know? <laughs> you know these bouncing ideas and again a couple of things kind of come come to mind when you uh, mentioned there that letting go um I think that's what I sort of surmised from the conversation that we had uh, yesterday about anger um and it's a point that Dennis made and he said that he felt that the best way of dealing with anger is to just let it go and I totally agree with that totally and I think if you're able to sort of sort of channel, you know, those energies and even convey them into writing, you might find that you've got yourself a bit of a bestseller. <laughs> 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 to hand. <laughs> when I was, because you know that I'm a, I'm a recovering English teacher. When I was, when I started teaching, it was, the early 70s, and I'm a child of the 60s, so I'm, I'm still incredibly idealistic. I have not become cynical. Everybody else has, I guess, but I have not. But, when, you know, I'd be, I had 185 students total my, my first day. That, that's a lot of kids. Yes. <laughs> but what I discovered quite accidentally was that if I just turned it over to them and just gave them a challenging but fun writing assignment to do that's all I had to do 
And for just a moment, they resisted because they were so used to a fear, I guess. And then when they, because they they were, this was pens and paper. (laughs) All of a sudden, they were writing so much that you could hear it in the room. You could hear this sound and they were off to the races. <laughs> and I think that that the uh, creative, therapeutic, spiritual, because I think it's very spiritual too. I think that act is, is innate in human beings. And that, Lots of our, you know, you were talking about the topic yesterday, which is anger. And I'm so sorry I, I uh, couldn't couldn't be there. So much of our stuff doesn't have an outlet. Yes. And because binge watching television is not a sufficient out, outlet or yeah. like, right? You're right. And and that's another thing that was that came up as well in the discussion. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes the, the difference they were saying between sort of male and female, you know, displacement of anger or, you know, demonstrations of anger is like for women, we'll sort of store it up, you know, sort of thing, all these little frustrations. And then later on, we kind of explode, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas men have never been really taught how to deal with their anger, have they? You know, and then you see it sort of demonstrated either, you know, whether it's a hole in the wall, as Dennis puts it, you know, or you know, in some other sort of way, you know. But like you say, it's really just trying to, writing is a very, very good form, I would say, of putting that anger or displaying it in a way that's less harmful, let's say, you know, and less distracting. Everybody has it, I think, you know, as if, as if, as if I know everything about 7 billion people, but <laughs> I've never met anybody who didn't have anger with them. And for me, it's kind of like grief. Yes. Because this culture, you know, as you know, that's something that, that right now I'm really fascinated by. When we don't um, accept it, number one, and I think that for me in my life, that's been the hardest part is to accept that, Yes, I carry anger. Yes. I heard a fellow once say that when you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. Yes. The reason it comes out is because that's what's in there. Yes. And when someone squeezes us, anger comes out. Yes. And the reason is because that's what's in there, right? It, it, isn't, it isn't whatever, you know, set, set the, the pile of anger on fire. It's that that pile was there. Yes. yes. And, you know, being in, I did theater too. And one of the things I discovered in theater was how much anger I had. Because right. I had to play the commandant of Auschwitz <laughs> in a play once. So I had to be really bad. <laughs> and after the first dress rehearsal, the director called me aside and said, I need to talk to you. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, you're scaring the rest of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> it's too real for them. <laughs> yeah, and it's and all I had done was tapped into this anger, which I had never accepted or acknowledged before. Yeah. Right, and you probably didn't even realize at the time until when you were in the moment, you know, that it would even 
be big, you know, you just don't realize, you know, at the time how much you're storing up, you know, but, but it was a very good release for you. And back to where we started with, with the idea of writing, if we're courageous and transparent when we write, which is one of the things I love about writing is once I get out of my own damn way and just let it come, it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, if we can do that, I think we can tie our heart and our spirit and our mind and our body because it's a, it's a, it's a physical act too. And, and we get this, this, uh, this greater sense of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? integration yes. of who we are, who we were, and who we might be. And that's, for me, what's so rewarding and frustrating about the creative act is that all that stuff comes together. I mean, am I far off from your base or are we? No, I would totally agree with you. I mean, um, that would be, that was my, actually my take on it. You know, um, I felt that, you know, through my, probably the reason why I've been so sort of shy as a writer and, you know, and not very forthcoming is mm -hmm. because through my upbringing, you know, my anger was curtailed, you know, however, I felt it was just not required, you know, at the time. And, you know, my feelings about anything, to be honest, you know, throughout my childhood, it was quite a strict one and quite reserved, you know. Um, but I would say that as I come into my own, you know, as a person, as a woman, you know, as a human being, you know, I'm learning that to express myself more, you know, um, and be brave with it and bold with it as well. You know, I am who I am. You know, I accept people for who they are. And, um, you know, and I want to be more courageous in my writing. And I think I am very much doing that now. You know, I've definitely found my purpose. And, uh, yeah, and I'm really enjoying my writing. It's great to write, but it's really good to be able to you know, get those feelings of emotions and being able to convey that out there, you know, because it's therapeutic for me. And um, and I think for somebody who was so reserved at one time, it's a, it's, it's a nice way of people getting to know me, you know. I, when I was younger, was very reserved. Nobody accuses me of that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Something you brought up earlier too, which I think, um, I was working on a project which I was never get, able to get off the ground. It was called Gender Crap. Oh. And how women are acculturated to deal with anger and how men are acculturated to deal with anger, I think are equally dis dysfunctional, though they're, they're, they're very different operationally. Yes. Right? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I mean, you just see the, I mean, the way, like I say, you know, I mean, women will sort of, there'll be a build-up of frustrations. But I think that's probably similar for men in some ways. I, but I do still feel that the demonstrations sometimes um, are different, very much so. But I think that, um, I think that men, uh, women are women a bit more courageous and a bit more bold these days, you know. So who's to say? You know, as future generations <laughs> after us come up, they might find that they're a bit more aligned, you know. Um, and I do feel that men are also be becoming more understanding, you know, and more in tune with the feelings of women as well. And they are becoming just naturally. 
I think, more aligned. And I, I don't know if that has anything to do with COVID, you know, I wonder, within the space where we've all had to be kind of cooped together and learning to work with each other differently. We have, we have lots of examples, probably for our own lives, but from, from books about people who, when confronted with trauma, yes. change and rise, yes. grow, right? The, the, the person who rushes into a burning house and, you know, grabs a baby and gets badly burned and when asked about it says, I don't know why I did that. Yes. So, so I think all of us have, have more capacity for that than maybe we've had a chance to show before. But one of the things the pandemic has done, this, this pressure and the anxiety and, and the fear and the anger, because there's a lot of anger, sure. is I think some of us, it has opened us up. But yes. I think others, it has closed down. Sure. And I think I, I would say as well that there's probably a fair few during this time that have found themselves quite creative and tapping into those, you know, areas. Um, whether it be to start up a new business or, or to find what they're good at or just get to know themselves a little bit more, you know, deeper understanding of themselves, I think. I think that uh, the pandemic has definitely brought out that within us to some extent. <laughs> I love watching you and listening to you talk you. because I see your passion and your um, joy yes. about what you do as well as kind of who you've, you're becoming, who you've yes. become and who you're becoming. So I have a couple of questions for you. <clears throat> your, your work, your publishing, your sense of purpose and mission about social justice, as well as offering a platform for a lot of voices. Give me a second to figure out how I want to phrase this. Because mm -hmm. I don't want to make it a linear or uh, empirical question. But, okay, as this grows, as this changes, wherever this leads, what would you like to be the ripples that the, the rock of Shara creates in the sort of pond of humanity? I think I would like to think that I, I kind of made a difference to as many people's lives, you know, that I was working with or came across or inspired in some way. Yeah, in some small way. I would, and I would like to hope that in, by what I did, you know, created sort of less injustice and more equality, I think. And definitely, I'd want to see more humanity, you know, from us all really within the world. It's the only way, I think, to, fi to fix what's broken. You know, coming together, a unity, definitely. From, so that, was, that was lovely. And from my perspective, I, I keep coming back to the, to the same question. Why does that seem so difficult for so many people? It doesn't seem, it seems so, I mean, it is simple. Sure. It really, it really is. It just seems that, I guess, you know, back to the theme about what can we let go of is that there are some people who are holding on so tightly to their anger or resentment or fear or pain or whatever, and I'm not in charge, 
that un, as long as their primary focus is grasping that with every <laughs> bit of their energy, they're not going to have a space for it, right? That's right. There is no room for growth, you know. And I think as I go on and I meet more people like myself, which is clearly what's happening, you know, uh, uh, you know, through my own business and so forth, I, I find that there is one thing that we all sort of have in common where we sort of learn to let go, you know, and we, yeah. and from there we've been able to sort of channel our growth, as it were. And I think we're all a lot happier for doing so. You know, I've met some extraordinary people, you know, over the past year or so, and I'm, I'm so glad, you know, to have met them. I'm very proud, actually, to have met them. And, you know, they've all inspired me and continue to do so in one way or another. <laughs> One of the things that I would like to do, and this is just starting to, you know how you, how you get an idea and like, you can, it's, it's like, first it's like the size of a fly, you know, you can just hear it. And it's like, and then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, I would like to find a better way. And I'm not a good organizer. You don't want me in charge of organizing people. That's I've just not, it's, it's not my strength, but for, and maybe that's what we're doing right now. It's for us to start to build this network of people who aren't better or worse, but are are comfortable with who they are, who are who are able to to acknowledge their anger and maybe able to like you know those kinds of things because we may we may be able to make a bigger splash than we know. Yes. But the second thing I want to ask you because you have one grandchild, I do. Yes, granddaughter or grandson? Grandson. Yes. How old is your grandson? He's thirteen months. Oh wow! Look at your face light up. I wish this we were doing this on video. <laughs> you're like you're like bursting yeah. with joy. Okay, so he, your your grandchild is in is, is like nine. So whatever level of school for you all that would be. And the teacher says to the class that we're we're going to do a history lesson, and. The history lesson is, you may not remember this because you're so little, but 2020 was a real tough year. When the teacher asked your grandchild, how did your grandmother behave during the year 2020? What would you love to hear your grandchild say? I would like him to say that his grandmother did her very best to make the world a better place, really. That's what I would want him to, you know, she did her best to make sure, you know, she made every endeavor, you know, to make sure that the, the world was a better place for him. Oh, what's his name? King. I'm sorry? King. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. My apology for for my for my phone going off. I'm usually I was good. I I did turn the fan off for the AC, <laughs> but I had my phone and my tablet both here, and both of them were going off simultaneously. <laughs> so I was like throwing things around and trying to get them out of the way. Oh, Shara, thank you so much for your time. Okay, I've been looking forward to this, and not that I needed to understand why, but now I understand why I was looking forward to it so much. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity, Mark. I really appreciate it. My pleasure.
Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.